typically when you're on the road with someone, if you get along, like whenever I got along with a bass player and we're doing a number of cities, we'd get together in the hotel room and I'd be on one bed, they'd be on the other bed with our bases not plugged in. And we would just do finger exercise. Check this out because you make up these strange things that are hard to play and then you get, they get easier to play and it kind of helps your, it kind of helps you, you know? Right. So I'm like, well, here's this and oh, that's cool. Check this out. So we trade licks with, with each other and stuff. And, and that was cool. But I remember going up, we get on stage, packed house, and we start, I even remember that it was called Wet Teenager. We started with with that song, and I happened to look up and remember the Jumbotrons. It, my face was on the whole Jumbotron. Wow. I remember it freaked me out. I was like, what am I supposed to do? I never, I never had not thought about this. Am I supposed to look at it? It was like, what? it's me. It's Joe from Steubenville. What? I'm on the, the Jumbotron in D.C. This, <laughs> there's something weird about this. Uh, but uh, And then they, then they gave us the hotel. I think it was in Erie. We did at the Erie Fieldhouse some gigs. And Frank would just drink coffee. But they would always close the holiday in or wherever it was they would close down the bar and let us have the bar oh that's cool remember, yeah and i remember frank came in one day with a cup of coffee and he sat at the bar and there was this young girl and she was waiting on all of us she's real nice and i got three sisters and i remember him starting to make some strange comments too. when didn't he <laughs> yeah and then he actually put her up on the bar and she was sitting there and he was like doing something. And I just remember thinking like, this is not cool. If this was one of my sisters, like, you know, I would not like this. And I remember walking up and standing between him and her. Just walked up and now I'm standing there thinking, and are you actually gonna get into a fist fight? with Frank Zappa. What the heck are you doing? <laughs> right? I don't know. I that would have been something. a story. <laughs> yeah, you know it. I don't think he was I, I just I, but I think I did kind of disrupt whatever was going on or something. I don't know. But it, and I'm sure he's genius, nicest guy in the world. But he was kind of off by himself all the time. Yeah, you know, yeah, I, I know he would from what I've read, he kind of went off on his own when he wanted to create. But, yeah. I mean, he, if he needed a certain sound and it didn't matter how long you've been in the band, if somebody else could give him the sound he was looking for, you were out and the next guy was in. And you had to read it. You had to read mm -hmm. all of that. You know, when we first got to New York, it was like, so we have a per diem. We started doing sessions, became a session player. You know, and it was like at that point, my sight reading had to be really good. Mm -hmm. You know, and in bands, you, you're not sight reading. You know what I mean? Zappa was an oddity in that area. You know, it's like those guys played everything that he wrote. Yeah, the, nobody I, mean, I think ever parts, got everything. Nobody right. got as complex as he did. 
No. He Nobody. Was, he was just a monster. But, uh, but yeah, it just all of those experiences, I wouldn't trade him for anything. Uh, you know, blame you. I mean, it was it was just like it's me. What am I doing here? I, I don't. Know. So when I tell stories like that on Facebook, like one time I told the story about the spending the evening with Billy Joel. You know, it was mm -hmm. like people are like, "You need to write a book, man. You need." To you should. I don't have enough time. Well, so what? What I'm going to do is I've I started doing blogs on my uh, uh, JoeMacri.com, my, my website, and. You know, I'm like typing on this and I think, you know what, I'm just going to do it on Zoom, just me talking into the camera, tell the story. And if it needs to be transcribed someday and I can put a collection of these stories and make a book of it, that's great. But just to sit down, do the outline of the book. I started one and it was like a novel about a guy in the music business and it was really about crack the sky. And then I thought, you know what, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. So I, I got those stories, those letters from my, my dad writing from a foxhole in Germany back to his parents here in Steubenville, Ohio, and the penmanship was perfect. He's in a foxhole with bombs going. The penmanship was a statement in itself. See, you know, that this, should be your first book. Yeah, and but but I went through these letters and it was like, dear dear mother and father, and it, and he painted this rosy picture all the time, like everything's fine, you know. You've seen Saving Private Ryan; they had three brothers in the war at the same time. My dad had five brothers, so there were six Macri brothers, and there were four in the war at the same time. So when we watched Private Ryan, we I got to see it with my son and my dad. And they were saying, well, Private Ryan, first 20 minutes, if they were in the war, don't let them see the first 20 minutes. It could be really bad, this and that and the other thing. He explained everything that was going on to me. And it, that's when I realized when he made it up the beach to the mm -hmm. mountain, they were stuffing dynamite in those tubes. So they get up to the pillboxes. And, and they threw those ladders up there with a latch on. As those guys were going up the ladder, they were just shooting them. Bang, bang, bang. But there were so many coming up, they just kept coming till they couldn't get them all. Finally, they got up there and my dad said, the pillboxes were full of Italians. Right, so I grew up speaking Italian. That was our main language. Oh, wow. Yeah, and so my dad was real fluent, right? And so when they found out he was Italian, he said, these Italians did not want to be in these pillboxes. They mm -hmm. didn't want to have anything to do with the war. Uh, they, they were all coming out and people going, Mac, Mac, come here. You know, so he could actually translate. He could talk to them. And uh, he said, when they came out of those pillboxes, they were so drunk that they didn't know where they were. He said, because they were drinking pure grain alcohol. And he said, we took that alcohol, we put it in our sternos, in mm -hmm. our lighters, and they filled their stuff up. And I said, did you drink any? And his answer was this, I had one sip. I did this, and it's still there to this day. That grain alcohol. Oh, right? no. So, yeah, but, but you know, 
like we were talking earlier, it's just a different time, man. Yeah. Well, it's like our local high school, they are real big on trades, right? And they're building this big trade center so that, you know, you don't have to go to college to become a welder, you know, just different trades. And so in Texas, I taught pro tools, right? And uh, I mean, we had, you know, school in San Diego, Austin, Houston, Dallas, and I would travel to those areas and fill in for people and do different stuff. And um, it hit me the other day, you know, my whole goal is to give back. That's why I teach guitar and bass and stuff. And I haven't been teaching Pro Tools. So I, I, you know, went, I called them and said, you know, you guys are doing this thing, teaching these kids trades. I'd like to be part of that. Well, you know, what, what do you do and this and that? And, and I told them what I did and it was like, wow, that's, that's interesting. I'm like, if I teach you how to run Pro Tools like I did in Texas, after 13 weeks, one semester, all of my students had recording studios in their house. You start out small mm-hmm. because what you don't understand is everybody wants to sing or at least hear, if, find out if they can sing, they want to play their instrument, they want to record. Rappers all want to rap. Singers all want to sing. And you'd be surprised how many of your friends are into that. So they open up a little studio, get some Pro Tools, charge 25 bucks an hour. Now they're busy eight hours a day, right? And they're making money. And after, so I stopped doing that in 2012, my students now have some that are with like famous people that have moved to Sacramento to be part of that camp. And they're the engineers and stuff. And I, in this town, no, no one has really done that. Right. And so the guy said, uh, I'm going to have to run this up the chain. I can't explain it like you can. Is there any way that you could like figure out a way to do that? So I made a DVD for him. And, you know, I have Pro Tools and I share the screen with it. And so, okay, so here's what we're doing. And this is what I teach. And this software does this. And, you know, I've worked on the Walker Texas Rangers show for the whole run of the show. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was I was in Dallas, so I was the ADR director um, in Dallas, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, Chuck and, and they would all come in every week. And one day Chuck said to me, uh, where are you from, Joe? And I said, you never heard of it. Steubenville, Ohio. And he went. Uh, what was the guy's name? It's like this super Italian name. He went, you, do you know Benny? Benny? Uh, oh, God, I can't remember his last name. And I went, yeah. Yeah, sure. He said, I was his best man in Steubenville, and I wore my tux with my Chuck Taylor tennis shoes. Oh, wow. And we went to DiCarlo's Pizza. That's our family's pizza thing. No and way. We had we had that pizza, and I was like, "Oh my god!" He would stand there. Then, then my next session was coming up. He would keep talking to me while I'm setting up and stuff like that. Eventually, I would have to get to the point where I'd say, "Like, hey, Chuck, man, I got, I got to, I got to do." Oh, okay, it's cool, man. I'll, I'll see you next week and stuff. And uh, Noble, who was the CD guy, that he was the old Texas Ranger, right? He was the old guy. 
he had a boy that drove him around in his uh, limousine, right? And he would be like, Noble was his name. Noble's out in the parking lot. I'd always go out in the parking lot and meet him at his car and walk in with him, right? And he said, uh, "What? You know, the Republican Party just talking to me. They want me to run for uh, for uh, Congress down here." And I said, "Well, maybe you should do it." And he said, "I told him if they buy me a helicopter, I'll do it." <laughs> he wanted a helicopter. I see the, the, everybody started getting on Chuck. There was like this Chuck Norris humor thing and stuff like that. And I still see it on Facebook. And I'll say, I've never worked with anyone as nice as Chuck Norris. And he was into that, uh, the Eagles drummer. Um, Glenn Fry? No, the drummer, um, Don Glenn? Henley. I mean, yeah, Don, sorry, Don Henley. I don't know why I said Okay, Glenn so Fry. Don Henley is in that Dallas yeah, he's from Dallas. Well, he married a debutante too. Okay. So he's up there and Chuck's up there and this and that and the other thing. So I started, you know, just from talking to Chuck, started getting like information about this upper class, you know, of people and stuff. And and then I met Erica Badu. You know who that is? Yeah. Yeah. She's okay. a singer, right? Yeah. And she started the whole Neo Soul thing pretty much, right? Yeah, she can and, sing. Uh, yeah, man. And, uh, you know, the thing I did a Robin Williams film with her. Wow. I did work on fire down below Steven Seagal. Like I got to do all these films. Oh, uh, mother-in-law, the movie mother-in-law. Oh yeah. They, they took the safety and numbers thing that Ricky and I wrote that song and they put DJ lethal produced it in England and got a girl to sing it. I forget her name. Ellie Lawson is her name. And so it's the thing when they're driving up to, I don't know if you saw Monster in Law, but they're driving up to Jane Fonda's party. I remember, Jane Fonda but I has told it. them that this was going to be casual. Mm -hmm. It's a black tie affair. She did it just so her son would not like JLo anymore. And as they're driving up to the thing, our song's playing. Safety oh, wow. numbers is playing and stuff, you know. So um, I had all kind of like little like stuff. I had Faith Hill hold one of my songs for two weeks, which was uh, when she became famous was when she did that uh, soda shop video. Okay. Uh, it was like her first album. The next album they were saying is going to sell 7 million records, right? So and I used to write a bunch of country songs. So, and I had a plugger in Nashville that would shop them. And I get this call one day and it's from Faith Hills people. And they're like, hi, Joe, uh, listen, we heard the song American Boys and we really like it. And now we're just holding it at this point, but I just wanted to let you know that we're holding it and we really like it. And this and everything. For two weeks, I'm thinking like, if, if I get on that, that's a million dollars right now. Just one song at 50% published. He was going to get me a million bucks. A couple of weeks later, they called back and said, listen, it's a little too young for her. And I knew I, that was my fear that it was just a little too young because I wrote it for this these two girls from Birmingham that I was producing in Dallas. And uh, uh, 
they said, you know, we're not going to use it on, on this album, but we like the way you write and, and just send us anything directly here, right? I never sent them anything after that, you know, because I was just doing too many other things and stuff. But you know, I think about it. When something like that happens, you think, I'm not as bad as I think I am. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know, I'm, I'm kind of in the running here and stuff like that. There's oh, always had those little opportunities. I had uh, um, um, Jessica Simpson became real big, right? Mm -hmm. Well, I knew her vocal teacher, right? So her vocal teacher is really, really, really good. And she called Tommy Matola at CBS and said, you need to come to Dallas and hear this girl sing. That's how Jessica got her deal. So they get, so they get her dad comes in and they're all kind of Hollywooded up at this point and gives me a tape that Ashley Simpson had done with Sugar Ray producing it. Oh, wow. Remember Sugar Ray. Yeah. Okay. Now I don't know anything about Sugar Ray or anything, but all I know is when I heard that, that tape, I was like, this is some of the worst stuff that I've heard. Oh, no. It, it was. And so what I did was I I hired their brother and taught him how to be an engineer. And it was good because we had solid state logic. We had really expensive gear and stuff like that. And, you know, I kind of bowed out of that the whole thing because eh, it's a long story. I don't want to get into it. But. Yeah, there was always these kind of people like, you know, and that's that was the cool thing about living in like Dallas, like Andy yeah. Timmons, you know who Andy Timmons is? Yes. Okay, Andy. So I composed lots of commercials. Mm -hmm. Well, commercials pay a lot. So I was able to have Andy be my guitar player. So oh, wow. I have a session. So I call Andy for everything. And, you know, He'd, be, he'd come in and go like, well, what are we doing today? And be like, Harrison. Before I could even set the console up, he had his bottleneck out and it, it sounded exactly like Harrison playing slide, right? Oh, was, wow. You know, so I got to, you know, work with people like that. Uh, er, Erica's one day, so when I'm doing the Robin Williams film with her and she has to sing this song, Crossroads. Will you ever let him go? No. Will you hide the dead man's but Almond Brothers? Mm -hmm. Sweet Melissa. Yep. Love that song. Singing the song. And I stopped. I stopped the tape and I said, Do you do you know this song? Do you know anything about this song? And she said, No. And I walked out and there's had a guitar in the studio and I picked up the guitar and she said, Boy, oh, you're a musician too. And I said, Yeah. And I explained to her what the song was, about, just about the band and Dwayne dying and, you know, Sweet Melissa. And this was like his, you know, backdoor girl, whatever. And, you know, and I sang the song for her and I played it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then she did it and all that. And then she came out and she said, would you do something for me? And I said, sure. She said, could you make me a couple tracks? I said, I'd love to. And she said, no, you can't tell anybody this, but I'm going to do this one for Yoko. And it's, oh, Yoko. 
and I want to do that for her and, and give it to her. And I was like, I'll do it. So I started working on it. And all the lyrics, like when I'm shaving, I call your name. When I, it like didn't fit. Mm -hmm. Right. So I did across the universe in a neo soul bag. And I loved it. I was because I was thinking, this is what she needs to do. Because the Beatle fans will love her. This will put her right down the mainstream. Man, this is perfect. So I got that done. I didn't tell her and I called her, right? I called her on her cell phone and I said, Eric, I got your tracks ready. You want to come down and hear them? And she went, Oh, darling, I'm in the middle of labor. She was having a baby. Oh, no. <laughs> so then I ended up working with her um, producer, Madukwa Chinwa. And man, you talk about some soul. Like he, he was super good. And he's still a friend of mine on Facebook, and he, he's really good. He does all kind of cool stuff, plays every instrument and stuff like that. But, you know, it's like just being in that kind of Metroplex, like you just have the opportunity to meet so many people, man. Oh. What? When they, what, they thought that I had a kidney stone mm -hmm. back in 2010. So he goes in and he does this exploratory thing. And he comes out and says, yeah, you do have a kidney stone. It's big and it's hanging right on there. And I never had a kidney stone before. He said, but um, you also have stage four cancer, mm. bladder cancer. And I was like, what? Next thing out of his mouth was, how long did you smoke? He didn't say, were you a smoker? Mm-hmm. He said, how long did you smoke? And I said, 13 years. He says, that's why you got it. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So, you know, it's like, but see, John Palumbo, my friend, he's, I think he just quit. But he has smoked his whole life. He's never got cancer. You know, so there's genes involved and there's, you know, all that stuff. 40 some odd years of doing this yeah so but, you know you're you're in the clear but uh you know i i don't drink and i don't do drugs anymore so yeah. if this is the, my worst habit yeah. <laughs> my wife puts up with it you're in a good <laughs> spot man like i would love to be doing what you're doing you know listen I to music blessed. and <laughs> hey sometimes i get stuff that hasn't been released yet yeah. and i get to sit here and listen to it i mean yeah how many people can say they do that? I mean, I know there's folks out there who do, but there's not a lot. But thank you and everyone out there, if especially those who uh, are my regulars. It's because of you I get to do this. And if you happen by here, this is your first time. Um, I, I hope you enjoyed it and you'll come back. So please hit the Absolutely. subscribe button. And I have to say, please. Even though I say it every time, I, you take care and be kind to one another. Amen. God bless you. And Amen. peace. You. Back at you, brother. And Joe, anything you want to say in parting here? No, uh, just uh, listen to the Kyle Yates show. And uh, is that what it's called? It's This one is called Listen to the Vibes, but the, the channel is called The Vibes Broadcast. Listen to the Vibes Broadcast.
I'm going to be listening, so you need to listen too. <laughs> Joe Macri out. <laughs>